I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Blackest eyes, the devil's eyes, purely and simply evil. You're out of your mind, Wang. God bless you. <laughs> what do we do? Hello out there, and welcome back to Precinct 13, a podcast about the movies, music, and mind of John Carpenter. My name is Nick Rocco Scalia, one of your two co-hosts, joined as always by your other co-host, Chris Oliphant. Hey, Chris. Hello, Nick. Glad to be here as always. Yeah, it's uh, it's a strange time in the world. I didn't want to date this episode of the show too much, but what the hell? I mean, it, why not talk about it, right? It would be the elephant in the room otherwise. We hope all of our listeners are doing okay during the uh, coronavirus craziness that's happening right now, and we hope that maybe some of you are not hearing this episode until long after this has all passed, but we're kind of right in the thick of it now, so I guess it's probably worth talking about. Um, on our last episode, we had our, our our former co-host of Talking Movies, Brian Verderosan, to talk Starman, and we were going to go straight into Big Trouble in Little China, and we decided, let's hit the brakes a little bit before we get into this very, very important period in Carpenter's career, and talk music again, because it's been a while since we've done that, so uh, what is on tap for today, Chris? Yeah, I, I just wanted to backtrack a little bit there. From the from the origins of this show, we had always intended to dedicate at least a couple of episodes to uh John Carpenter's music which you could do really an entire another podcast on if you were to include all of the numerous soundtracks that he's done um so a couple months back we did our first musically dedicated episode on the John Carpenter anthology album which is more or less a uh, recreations of a lot of his greatest hits compilation style record Today, we're going to be focusing on Lost Themes, which is actually the debut studio album from John Carpenter that was released in 2015 through Sacred Bones Records and was a collaboration with his son, Cody, and his godson, Daniel Davies. Uh, so these three guys, it was basically a, a, a family affair, if you will. The three of these guys got together and set out to basically record fully fleshed out original compositions. Yeah, and I think that's what's really fun about this album and uh, and Lost Themes too, which we'll do a whole separate episode on. We we're going to maybe group those together and it's like why not why not talk about them separately because there's a lot to talk about there. And yeah, this is the first time we're really talking about Carpenter's music outside of the film stuff. So this mm -hmm. is uh, this is his original music that does not have a movie attached to it, and I think that makes it sort of interesting to get into just in and of itself. I mean, he's an amazing composer, along with being the amazing filmmaker we've already talked about a lot on the show, and so it's worth paying tribute to that also and kind of doing that a little bit earlier on before we get to the long-standing cult classics like Big Trouble in Little China and They Live. we got a lot of fun stuff coming up. Before we do that, Chris, um, I just wanted to ask you, since we're now, what, three weeks or so into quarantine, I'm sure you've been watching a lot of movies. What are your recommendations for uh, for everybody who's out there listening right now who's probably stuck at home? 
actually, yeah, I've been. This is something I don't do often, but I've been been watching a TV show. Uh, I've been watching uh, Santa Clarita Diet with Drew Barrymore and Timothy Oliphant, and that show is hilarious. No relation, right? No relation, unfortunately. Um, I even did the ancestry DNA thing not <laughs> t- not too long back, and there is no relation to him. But God, that guy is hilarious. That show is. Uh, it's, it's, it's great horror comedy and I've watched two seasons of it. Yeah. I think, think it was canceled recently. I was going to start watching it. And then like, right when I was about to to get into it, that's when I saw the cancellation notice, which is unfortunate because I'm a big fan of his also, uh, justified and all the Tarantino stuff that he's done. Yeah. There's only, there's only three seasons in total, but I will tell you that watching the first two, I mean, I'm just in love with the show and, um, quite literally laughing out loud often i don't know i don't even haven't even looked into who the writers are for it but it's great um and then actually i should mention that uh with our with uh, our friends the mosleys we've been watching some movies together remotely where we all just um basically pick out you know a, a, a horror film usually something of the 80s genre and we'll we'll hit play, we'll synchronize our play time on it, and then just text each other while we watch the movie, joking about it and doing funny things like that. As often as we can to try to remain sane and have some kind of connection with, you know, our, our peeps. And, uh, <laughs> Nick, we've done a lot of really schlocky films. Uh, just to rifle off a few here, recently I've watched Bloody Birthday, uh, Slumber Party Massacre Part 2, Brain damage, um, <laughs> you know, sorority babes in the slime ball bolorama, uh, prom night to just cheese stuff. Um, but it's been a lot of fun. And then also, I recently finished the uh, recent season of Creep Show, uh, uh, pre- presented by Greg Nicotero. Which was awesome. Yeah, I really enjoyed Creep Show too. I I haven't finished the season. I think the last episode I saw was, was one of the best ones uh, that I had seen thus far. It was the Halloween episode where one of the stories was about ghostly trick or treaters. I guess would be the best way to describe it. And I was really really impressed by that. Like I, if I had seen that as a short film, like at a festival or something, I would have said that's one of the best horror things I've seen recently. It's just a, a really great story, really well done. So I will definitely check that out. Also, it sounds like you've been taking a deep dive into like Shutter. 80s collection yes yes and that's the, <laughs> i only named a few we've done a lot of um of movies and uh, let me ask you this actually have you ever heard of a movie called bloody bible camp bloody bible camp no uh, it sounds great though watch it tonight <laughs> it's the greatest movie i've ever seen is that on shutter also <laughs> that's actually on uh, prime viewing i believe okay um but it is you from the first line of dialogue you will be like oh my god is crazy. I, I like the title, so I think probably I'm going to enjoy that a lot. That sounds like it's it's very much up my alley. Um, mm. Yeah, I've been kind of doing the the comfort food viewing also, doing the Indiana Jones trilogy. You know, the original, oh, wow. the, the good Indiana Jones films, and um, I think they hold up pretty well. I uh, I like Temple of Doom a lot. A lot of people do not Me too. like that movie, um, but I think it's a whole lot of fun. There are certainly some things about it that are maybe a little annoying or maybe a little bit reductive culture. But uh, I still think, I mean, you know, as as problematic as that movie can be, I had a great time with it. And man, when Spielberg just kind of lets loose and just does these amazing action sequences and, and, you know, it's almost like... 
it almost has like a, a Looney Tunes-ish feel to it, right? Like the minecart chase and all that stuff and some of the fight scenes. And it has that really just zippy kind of cartoon energy to it. And Spielberg does that so, so well. Um, Les Crusade has a lot of that stuff in it also. And I, I kind of wish he would go back to that at some point. Like, you know, since, since Steven Spielberg has kind of moved on to more prestige pick kind of things like Lincoln, uh, I did not see Ready Player One. Maybe there's some of that kind of fun uh, sequence building. And, and action scenes in that but uh but you know to me the spielberg that we have now is more of a warhorse lincoln munich and I, those movies are great don't get me wrong i think munich is especially fantastic but uh but i kind of miss the fun let loose let it rip kind of spielberg where it's just like we're making a saturday afternoon cliffhanger serial for modern times and man those movies are uh, are a ton of fun i'm on record saying temple of doom is my favorite indiana jones movie so temple of doom is probably the most john carpenter in Indiana Jones movie, right? <laughs> like, you know, you've got like hordes of faceless villains, and you've got like a little bit of gore, and uh, yeah. you know, the the atmosphere of it is a little bit Carpenter esque, and I, I just I think that movie is so much fun, and of course the great bridge climax sequence, and Mola Ram is a, a really really fun villain, and I, I just I enjoy it so much. Um, I think that was maybe the first one I saw when I was a kid, so that's why I have so much love for it, and you know, I showed it to Jackie for the first time, and she liked it. She likes the series but I think that was her least favorite. So that tends to be, uh, aside from Crystal Skull, which we don't even really have to talk about or mention or include with those first three films. But uh, yeah, I think Temple of Doom definitely is is worth a rewatch. Chris, I wanted to recommend one to you that you've probably Mm. already seen, but the best thing that I've seen in the last few weeks that I hadn't seen before is a movie called Train to Busan. Have you seen that one? No, but I've seen its its icon on... on, uh shutter like a thousand times and just haven't well, I, I think i was scared by the running time is it a two and a half hour banger uh it's a little long yeah i think it's it's maybe two hours i don't know if it's two and a half um but it is like the fastest paced movie i've seen in a very very long time it's basically it's a south korean film and it's from i believe 2016 they just released the trailer for uh i guess it's not a direct sequel but it's kind of another film set in the same world a couple of years later Uh, i don't know if it's going to have any of the same characters but anyway this is maybe the most kinetic zombie movie i've ever seen um the zombies move really fast in it kind of 28 days later style but most of the film is set on a commuter train so it's it's like a very linear path from uh, from where the characters need to go, and usually they have to fight their way through just hordes of the fastest, scariest. I mean, it kind of made zombies scary again. It's not a particularly graphic movie. There's not much gore in it, but um, something about the way the zombies move in this film and the speed that they have and just sort of tight confined spaces kind of aspect of it um really really well done really well directed great script uh there's some really moving stuff in it also i mean you know as as much as zombies are kind of played out at this point and maybe the walking dead is uh, is somewhat at fault for that but uh i don't know i i had been meaning to see it for a long time i finally it is a, a longer movie so i had to have the time to to sit down and enjoy it and man i i think you will really really like it i mean i'm a subtitles guy i love foreign films i don't know if you feel the same way but um they're worth it it's uh it's definitely oh, worth, absolutely you know going through a longer movie and reading subtitles it's just uh there's some some really really great stuff there i would be uh committing a sin if i didn't mention that we also did watch return of the living dead dan o'bannon's 
uh, Return of the Living Dead. Oh, I love that movie. Uh, it's so good. <laughs> it's amazing. That movie is also a really good score in that movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But I was blown away. I had, I had actually, I will admit, I had never seen that before until just last week. And, oh, wow. Uh, of course, the, yeah. And then, the, um, of course, the Carpenter connection there with uh, our friend Dan O'Bannon back from the Dark Star days. And uh, just Wow, what a great movie. Yeah, that movie is so much fun. It's one of the best horror comedies ever. That's like a Halloween staple for me. I've seen that movie a lot of times. And I just, I love everything about it. You know, the sort of punk rock kind of aesthetic that it has. And um, the way the zombies are in that movie are are kind of not like other zombies. They have a little bit more personality, I think. Um, You know, send more paramedics is one of my favorite lines in any zombie movie. (laughs) And uh, yeah, it's just this very gritty, grungy. There's so much gratuitous nudity in it it's it's an exploitation movie in every great sense of of what that term means and it's just really really well directed the atmosphere is great it's mostly set in a graveyard um yeah Mm -hmm. it's a it's a real real fun movie i've never seen the sequel there's there's a number of sequels but uh return of the living dead part two i believe is like a direct continuation of the first one and then three came out years later and i've heard that's actually very good also it's kind of like a, a zombie love story so maybe i'll have to run that series since i've got some time uh, at the moment maybe i'll uh I'll deep dive into returning the living dead where'd you see it what uh what is that streaming on i believe prime okay i remember yeah. uh i rented it on the last time i saw it i rented it on uh, maybe it was amazon maybe it was uh not available for free on prime yet but yeah really really fun movie um later later period dan o'bannon maybe a little bit like dark star in some ways a little bit satirical in, in some of the same ways that dark star is <laughs> a little bit goofy in the same way that dark star is and and just just a ton of fun just really enjoyable uh, overall i couldn't agree more i'm glad you finally saw it all right well we've thrown out some recommendations there definitely check out train to busan uh, i think you will really really like it there's an animated prequel to it also that i'm gonna check out very soon because i just uh i enjoyed it so much i thought it really kind of reinvigorated a genre for me that i thought i had had enough of at this point and uh, and i guess that's not the case anyway we should talk about john carpenter's lost themes uh as you said a collaboration with his son cody carpenter and his godson daniel davies son of the kinks ray davies and as we said earlier these are basically john carpenter tracks that are not associated with any movie um what i did not know about this i remember reading a review of this when it came out and i'm I'm not sure that the review that I read really understood this either. I thought these were things that had been sitting around for a really long time that that just sort of got re-recorded. And looking into the background of the album, it actually doesn't sound like that was the case. It sounds like they kind of sat down to write some music uh, without the, the need to sort of compose it to a movie. And this all kind of came about when the album came about. So maybe some of this stuff had been ideas he had been kicking around for a long time. But, um, you know, I love the title, Lost Themes, right? It's almost just like stuff that Carpenter wrote anticipating that there would be a movie for it to go with. And, uh, and that really is not the case. But it's kind of just a fun thought experiment almost to just hear these tracks and imagine what the movie would be that they are the score for. Yeah, I think what's what's great about Lost Themes is that, and yes, the title is a little bit misleading. I mean, I think that's what everyone sort of thinks at first is, oh, here's some, you know, Carpenter cuts that didn't make movies. But uh, no, these this was a completely different modality of recording where instead of putting sound to images, this was like being set up in 
a home studio with unlimited tracks to work with and probably doing a lot less improvising and doing a lot more composing. Um, so what you end up getting is really this kind of, you know, there's a lot of stuff on this album that sounds very Carpenter-esque and sounds, has the, you know, kind of vintage late 70s, 80s vibe as far as just some of the, the, the tonal selections or um, some of the movements in it. But it also has a fresh, kind of cleaner sound to it than what we're used to hearing. Uh, it's It's straight up. It's his debut studio album. Yeah, I mean, there's more instrumentation on it than most of yeah. his movie scores have. Um, it's probably a lot of that is, is synthesized, a lot of it is digital, but they are kind of more expansive in some ways. And basically, every it's, it's a nine-track album, and um, I think everything on here, you know, it kind of ebbs and flows, and it builds, and there's quiet parts and loud parts, and I feel like everything here definitely does sound like a movie score, even though nothing actually is. Sure. There's, uh, there's different movements to basically every track here, and, and you could sort of tell, like, where in a movie they would actually go. Um, just about everything here kind of ends with a big climactic flourish, which I really like. Um, you know, I'm, I'm picturing all these, like, ending battle scenes and action scenes and uh you know <laughs> confrontations at the end of these like amazing yeah. john carpenter movies that we'll never get to see um you know this reminds me of uh i can't remember the name of the book but when i was a kid uh chris van alsberg the guy who wrote the polar express he did this other children's book which was basically a bunch of unconnected illustrations like every page was a different illustration that was like almost there to basically inspire you to create your own story based on you know it's like weird surrealist imagery like on every page and they were all completely unrelated to one another so it was oh, like see. they kind of looked like illustrations from a bunch of awesome looking children's books that didn't actually exist and uh, and i sort of got the same feeling from this like now that i'm familiar with this album i want to write to this album um i've done that in the past where like the last time i i wrote a short screenplay i was listening to colin stetson the whole time um i'm sure you're familiar with his work colin stetson is mm -hmm. my my very favorite modern uh film composer i didn't like the movie hereditary but i love his score for the movie hereditary uh he did midsummer he's actually recorded a bunch of stuff outside of his film work that i've listened to also and um put me into some really dark places to write a really dark screenplay and i definitely would like to try this one also maybe i'll come out with something carpenter-esque well, before we start doing a track by track analysis of the album, uh, I did. I should mention that the the record does come with an insert, um, and I'm not going to read the whole card that it comes with, but it really does give a lot of really um, relevant background to the project. But piggybacking off what you were just saying, the last paragraph uh, I will read, which has a quote from Carpenter here, and it says. These lost themes will doubtlessly inspire listeners to materialize their own eerily atmospheric dimensions. <laughs> M musical lands inspired by John Carpenter's motifs, even as the composer-director looks ahead with excitement towards brave new musical worlds he can explore. And this is his quote. He says, The best way I can describe what we've done is it's a soundtrack sampler, which is what Cody calls it. They're little moments of score from movies made in our imaginations. Now I hope it inspires people to create films that could be scored with this music. So I thought, how cool would that be if someone made 
a film and then use some of these cuts to score it with. Yeah. And actually, you know, just listening to this and thinking about John Carpenter as a composer, like I'm surprised and, and this has to be his decision, right? Like if I am, you know, any kind of filmmaker doing anything Carpenter-esque with my film, do you think he's probably been asked a few times to just score a movie? Um, you know, I know he's done some, some soundtrack work for films that are kind of in his wheelhouse, like things he's executive produced and all that. But like, do you think he's just random contacted occasionally and be like hey I got this script it sounds like a very carpenter style kind of thing could you write some music for it I mean I guess he's must have said no many times right I know I'm always able to weave Robert Rodriguez into a conversation but uh, <laughs> he he approached uh, he approached John Carpenter to score Planet Terror and um, in fact ended up using some of Carpenter's music in that movie uh, it's been so long since I've seen it, I can't remember specifically what it was, but for whatever reason, they, they were unable to strike a deal or their schedules just didn't, you know, mesh at the time. But I'm sure people have to be offering him uh, gigs all the time. And um, it always, it's just funny to me that this album exists, and I'm glad that we get to share it with our fans because I think a lot of people that are listening may not be familiar or even know that this these Lost Themes records exist. And if we have... Uh, take any part in shining light on that for you and and you are a fan of his movies and music you are really going to like these albums uh, there's no question about that oh yeah i mean this is so very carpenter you know he's not like going off and exploring some new weird direction that we've never heard from him before like every one of these you know i, I think i could almost associate every track on this album with one particular movie i kind of made some notes sure. to that effect but um you know it is it's very much in the style that that he kind of pioneered with the the synthesizers and that sort of just pulsating bass synth sound that he does so well and that we heard in things like escape from new york and assault and precinct 13 and um the beats on this i mean it, the the whole album is just it's like very very energetic like i had a great experience with it earlier today actually i went for a run and i decided to listen to lost themes and you know it was just this Perfect. very surreal kind of uh you know people are out but they're all wearing masks at this point and it's like here i am running through the apocalypse with john carpenter's score behind me and <laughs> i felt a, a little bit like snake fliskin so uh so that was pretty cool definitely inspired those kind of feelings in me dude you should rock the mask and the eye patch next time you go running yeah yeah I de definitely should <laughs> it's it's been very cool just a, as a quick aside um all the snake pliskin memes that this coronavirus thing has generated and what i thought was really amazing about that was you know i follow a number of different john carpenter fan pages so like when governor cuomo said things about like well maybe we're gonna have to lock down the city of new york um there were a ton of them made on the, the John Carpenter fan pages, but then I saw a bunch of them showing up in, in other places, just like random other people making Snake Plissken memes about New York and uh, and the, the COVID-19 epidemic. And, you know, of course, not to, to make light of, uh, of a really bad situation there, but it was just kind of amazing to me. Like, people really love and remember that movie. That's one of my favorite Carpenter films also. And, you know, it's, it's sort of come roaring back to life. Like, I'll bet if you looked at the numbers on iTunes or Amazon or something i feel like over the past few weeks the that has just spiked in popularity for the first time in, uh, in quite a while so if nothing else good comes out of this terrible situation at least escape from new york's getting some love again yeah and if you're uh if you are a member of shutter or thinking about getting into shutter which i um highly highly recommend and no we are not sponsored by them in any kind of way although how cool would that be yeah not yet um there are 
uh, several uh, Carpenter movies on Shutter right now, including Escape from New York and The Fog, I believe, and I, maybe The Mouth of Madness too. There's a bunch of them up there at the moment. All right, so uh, Vortex is the opening track. Yes, I like Vortex a lot. Vortex has it all. That's the first thing I wrote down. Is this this track has it all? Great opening that sets the mood for the whole album. Yeah, that like heavy piano chord thing there. I love that. Yep, it's got the deep pulsating synth bass, uh, moody piano. I also wrote down here um, angelic voices, and then you know this song has breaks where there's all this random ominous stuff going on with just sound effects, and you get the heavily distorted guitar and the arpeggiated synthesizer it's amazing this song really has it all yeah this sounds so much like a real movie theme to me also like i I could definitely picture a film being scored to this it uh, reminds me a lot of the escape from new york soundtrack actually sure which is yeah one of my favorites when it drops it's just it's it's so awesome because if you're like i remember when i heard this album for the first time i was like wow this is promising you know because i had no idea what to expect and um I just think it really set, it really sets the tone and kind of just excellently like encompasses everything in in one track that you're going to get on this album for the most part. Yeah, and I think it bridges the gap really nicely too. Like that was my note. I think out of everything on this album, all nine tracks, Vortex is the one that sounds the most like uh, you know, like I said, Escape from New York. Like this is the very very classic Carpenter sound. It's almost like kind of easing you into some of the later stuff, which is maybe a little bit less like that. Like this one is is absolutely of a piece with like the uh, Escape from New York soundtrack, the Assault in Precinct 13 soundtrack, and I just really like that about it you know it's like kind of him just inviting his listeners in like you know me this is what i do so we're going to start off with that and then we can kind of branch out from there it just has this very perfect distillation of like kind of everything that he does in it and i really like that about it yep (laughs) you know me (laughs) that's i was thinking about i think i always thought was cool too is that as as many accomplishments as he's had in his career and everything I mean, this is technically his first, this is technically his debut studio album. And I was thinking, how cool is that to be like 70 years old and being like, eh, I'll put out an album now. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to start my music career, you know, cause I'm not really making movies anymore. Yeah. So, well, well, that was the other thing I was thinking, just listening to this album, right? Let's, this came out in 2015. Uh, the word was 2011, I believe. I think 10. 2010 to that so like you know if you look at carpenter's recent career right like the last decade he was more of a musician than he was a filmmaker and and you know not that i'm saying there's anything good or bad i'm not making a value judgment about that but like if you knew nothing about this guy then yeah i mean he's uh he's just a composer he's just a musician for the last you know nine nine years or something like that and uh and a pretty good one i think yeah uh obsidian <laughs> Obsidian is very long. Uh, epic length was my first note about this track. This might be my favorite on the on the album. I really got it. It's I had written down here that it is has a triumphant sound. It's very upbeat. Yeah, some excellent uh, lead guitar for the main riff, and kind of the the textures you'd expect. Like there's definitely a creepy synth lead in here. Uh, there's a breakdown that has piano and even like a church organ at one point. Oh, he loves his church organ. <laughs> yeah. Then, then there's like there's like another breakdown like later in the song with these super eerie like high pitch synths. It's a pretty clever use of 
percussion over the bridge section and just great instrumental layering. Um, just incredible synth lead. I mean, this song has a lot of different parts, a lot of time changes, and at the end, it kind of starts how it begins and it ties everything together pretty nicely. But yeah, if you weren't paying attention, you would think that you might be listening to a couple different songs with this one. Yeah, but it's all like organically flows together, I think, really, really well. Yeah. Um, you know, it has this great sort of like over the top cheesy, like I called it horror metal. Um, and really know exactly how to best describe it. But yeah, it's like, uh, I don't know, I, I've been playing Doom a lot lately, the 2016 remake of Doom. And for some reason, I felt like this track would fit really well with that, you know, just like running around hell, blasting demons with a shotgun kind of thing. Um, Perfect. Yeah, I mean, it has, like you said, that sort of gothic church organ thing going on. I actually, my favorite part about this track, which is almost nine minutes long, is there's kind of some subdued parts in the middle. Like, it, it does definitely kind of ebb and flow a little bit, like we were saying. And this one gets a little bit quieter at a couple of points and a little bit more atmospheric. And then it just kind of ramps back up. Like, almost all of these, like I said before, just have these great crescendos at the end where, you know, it's like the all hell breaking loose climax of the movie. And this one kind of starts with that like you said and uh, and ends with it also yeah it's it may be my favorite track just from a just from a uh, composing perspective it's just it's pretty impressive yeah I mean, and the, the mix is great um so let's see track three is fallen yes oh man i really like fallen this is the first time where you get like a very moving melody at the beginning yeah it's a, it's a nice dark chord progression but there's very moving melody over this um, throbbing arpeggiated synth. Uh, just for the record, there's arpeggiated synthesizers in every song on this album, but it's it. I, I can tell you as someone that owns a synthesizer, once you learn how to properly synchronize an arpeggiated synth to a beat, it's impossible not to use. Like <laughs> it, It's just way too powerful of a weapon to not use. Um, and it and just, this song, it sounds so good. Yeah, it's it, exactly. Um, Again, we have strings layered in the background on this. Um, at some point, the melody almost sounds like a dulcimer. or I, I heard a dulcimer in this track, and um, it kind of takes a... Fallen kind of takes a dramatic turn at the halfway point, um, and it gets really, like, intense and suspenseful with these, you know, again, the scorching synthesizers. But um, I found that an interesting paradigm to the beginning of this song. I love that moving uh, melody that it comes in with. Yeah, this one to me, I mean, I, I know this movie doesn't exist, but I'm listening to this one and I'm picturing John Carpenter directing like a sword and sorcery fantasy epic. Like what would Carpenter's Lord of the Rings look like or 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 Game of Thrones, right? <laughs> like if you just hired him to do like one of the climactic season ending episodes or second to last episodes of a season of Game of Thrones, this would be what it would sound like, right? Like this is, uh, you know, it's got that great sort of battle scene climax kind of thing going on at the end. I really do like it. It has kind of a, a mystical kind of medieval, like, yeah, there is something that sounds like a dulcimer in there, which very often is used to score like a, a medieval kind of thing. And, you know, like in the 80s, a lot, um, there are a lot of low budget sword and sorcery movies, right? Like Conan the Barbarian comes out and a lot of smaller low budget producers basically 
tried to rip off Conan, uh, do their own kind of sword and sorcery, sword and sandal kind of movies. And a lot of them did have synthesizer soundtracks, which, uh, you know, is not maybe the first thing you would associate. Like, you know, when, when you have a fantasy epic, you want big, real orchestra and strings and things like that. But if you can't afford that, I kind of like the sort of almost futuristic sounding synthesizer counterpoint to uh, to like a medieval set story. And that's kind of what I got. That's the feel that I get from Fallen. And I just I really like that about it. It kind of makes me sad that Carpenter never made a movie like that. A swords and sandal movie. Yeah. Hmm. I'm not that upset about it, but uh... <laughs> oh, like set in a castle somewhere, like we're uh, storming the castle and someone has to fight, you know, assault on on Castle Thirteen kind of thing. Assault on Castle Thirteen, <laughs> right? With some trebuchets and some catapults, that'd be fucking awesome. Oh wow! You just said trebuchet. Um... <laughs> I love a good trebuchet in a movie. You don't see them a lot. <laughs> I always think of uh, obviously Holy Grail. Yeah. Um, okay. So the next track is Domain, right? Track four? Yes. Okay. Yeah. This, okay, what I had written here was, this sounds very gothic to me. Um, starts off very somber and then goes boom-bastic. Yeah. And, event, and, and event, eventually settles into a night. this is what I wrote, eventually settles into a nice dark horror genre groove, switches abruptly into amazingly arpeggiated synthesizer sequence gothic progression changes at the end um interesting outro yeah this one kind of rocks out at the end it doesn't really do that up until and then the the end just kind of lets loose um there's like this heroic fanfare thing that this does with the synthesizers in domain that i really really like um this one kind of made me think of what would a john carpenter superhero movie look like like it has this almost uh i don't want to say like a batman kind of feel to it but maybe something like that like could you imagine if, if we sort of gave him the keys to one of those superhero franchises batman or the punisher or one of those kind of characters like that's kind of what i got from this track maybe wow. not maybe not the punisher that's a little too dark um because you know this is gothic and spooky i think everything on this album is but like it does have that triumphant kind of sound to it like the avengers just kicking ass at the end of one of those movies or something still a good track though i mean at, the, at this point we're four tracks in and it's like album is totally solid oh yeah and no i don't think there's a bad track on this album actually i mean there are some we'll get to i think the second half it starts to sound a little bit like the first half um but but basically mm. everything is good like uh, there wasn't one sort of standout crappy song on this album i thought everything kind of had its place and did something interesting if if not the whole thing was uh was you know really compelling but yeah i would say it's uh it's a pretty good four song run at the beginning of this Track five is Mystery. Yes. This one's my favorite, actually. <sighs> the tubular bells at yes. the beginning. It's yeah. just, I, as soon as it drops, it's just like, oh, my God. And again, <laughs> I put gangster beat drops at the end. Um, yeah. <laughs> you, know, you get the, these drums that kick in and really, really heavy guitar on this one. More of the um, you know choir angelic voices it's just dramatic and lots of tension but 
awesome track. Definitely one of my favorites as well. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of Tubular Bells, and of course that was a big influence on the Halloween soundtrack. Uh, Mike Oldfield's Tubular Bells, of course, used as the really incredible score for The Exorcist, one of the scariest movies ever made. And, you know, Carpenter has is, is sort of straight up acknowledged that when he was scoring Halloween, however quickly he did that, you know, he kind of banged that one out and it became one of the most iconic scores of all time. But that was one of his inspirations. Um, this one really reminds me of Goblin, uh, particularly their Suspiria score. I think they were basically an Italian, very synthesizer heavy gothic band that scored a lot of Dario Argento movies and mm. has a very, very similar feel to this, although this one rocks out a lot harder. Again, all of these tracks, like almost everything builds to just sort of like a driving rock out kind of climax. But yeah, this reminded me a lot of the Suspiria score, definitely like Tubular Bells also. And um, certainly Mystery is a good title for it. Like I love, they're all one word titles, uh, every track on this album. And I think that one suits this one very well. I'm a big fan of the one world one word titles. Um Abyss is next. I took a lot of notes on this one. So this has a first of all, I love the melody in this track. And I put here uh my favorite electric piano again with more spooky sounding synth leads. Uh the song is a very haunted sound to it with lots of key changes more choir in the background again a lot of the techniques that are that are deployed in the other tracks with a crazy breakdown and a switch up this song has almost a house feel at the end with the way that the kick drum oh uh, yeah yeah totally is applied and then this is another this is another song that i think is kind of a combination of a couple different pieces in one Great guitar and synth combos, and then we get some tubular bells at the end of this one as well. Yeah. Something that sounds very similar to it. So There's a, a guitar sound on this track, and it's not all of the guitar sound on this track, but but part of it. Um, it's this kind of very reverby guitar sound. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really, really like it. It's not really used anywhere else on the album and just kind of adds like a neat little flourish to this track. Um, this one, it sounds a little bit like Vortex, actually. Like it almost kind of picks up some of the, sure. the musical ideas that he does earlier in, in Vortex. I almost would like to hear them back to back. I could mm. easily do that, but I didn't do that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I I, uh, I like this one a lot. This one reminds me of Disaster Piece, um, one of my very favorite movie scores of the past maybe ever, uh, is It Follows, composed yeah, by so good. Disaster Piece. Um, totally unique horror score at the time. I mean, I don't think anybody had really anticipated that, but definitely very synthesizer-heavy and very Carpenter-inspired. So, you know, this is uh, kind of a little bit like paying it back. Um, reminds me a lot of, uh, I don't know the guy's actual name, but he goes by Disaster Piece. And man, uh, when I see him attached to any project, he's done some video games too, and I'm always on board for that. Uh, like I just something about the the sounds that he puts together. I just love seeing them in whatever context that they are put in. Yes, it's uh, if you think I don't have the It Follows vinyl in my record collection, you are sadly mistaken. Oh, man, um, I, I've listened to that score more than any other score. And that movie is not that old. So that should tell you something. Yeah. Well, as you know, for me, it's Halloween. But God, it just reminded me of how good that score is and how worth it that purchase was. I remember obviously seeing that movie theatrically and 
yeah, just really the impression I had was, damn, I haven't heard someone do a score like this in a while. Yeah. And now, like, now I find so often, I don't know, I, I really feel like like John Carpenter is having this, like, kind of resurgence in in his career at this point. Um, I feel like 75% of the horror movies I watch now, I'm like, it's sound the music always sounds like it's rooted in his influence yeah i agree with that and and certainly someone like disaster piece and certainly a film like it followed i mean i i heard some of the music for that movie before I saw the movie. And I was like, Oh, I, I definitely want to see this. Like any film that uses, I mean, I didn't know the movie was going to be incredible. Also, that is one of my favorite horror movies in recent memory also. But um, yeah, it's just this perfect marriage of, uh, of this, you know, kind of retro sound to you know, like one, one of the things I love about that movie is it's kind of not really set in any really easily definable time period. And I think that movie actually has an interesting subtext about growing up and about the passage of time in it, along with all the horrifying stuff that happens in it also. So, you know, it's it's almost a retro sounding kind of soundtrack and kind of does have its roots in Carpenter's early 80s stuff. And man, I, I we could do a whole episode just on that film and just in the, the music from that film. But yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it seems to be a thing that particularly a lot of smaller scale movies, um, low budget independent horror films, which often tend tend to be the best horror films. Um, a lot of them do have that Carpenter influence, although I would say not everybody, not every composer who does that kind of thing um, has the melodic sensibility that Carpenter has. Like, every track on Lost Themes and all of his scores, they have just, like, really compelling melodies to them or just, like, musical ideas that are just total earworms. They get really stuck in your head. Like, since we started doing this show, Chris, and it's, it's been, what, six months or something like that now, like, you know, some some mornings I'll just wake up and I'll be hearing the, the riff from Assault in Precinct 13 or uh, <laughs> even films that I haven't seen yet, like Prince of Darkness. Like we talked about the anthology album and, you know, sometimes that gets stuck in my head. I mean, there's something about Carpenter's work. I, I do think it is better than, uh, you know, than any of the imitators, although some of them like Disaster Piece and uh, another composer that I really like a lot is Cliff Martinez, uh, who we'll get to because I think the last track on Lost Themes has a very Cliff Martinez kind of sound but again would they have done any of what they did if not for john carpenter uh, hugely influential in a lot of ways yeah and i'm sure i mentioned this on the anthology record um or episode i should say but you know some of the bigger players in the game right now when it comes to soundtracks obviously trent reznor and atticus ross sure who are just everywhere their their fingerprints are like on everything and not just the amount of work they've put out in the last few years in soundtracking but if you look at what they have on the books it's like these guys are just constantly working and a lot of their stuff including by the way uh the two volume ghosts five and six nine inch nails album they just released which is all instrumental and you know or even like the Watchmen trilogy that they just did yeah and i mean you listen to the music and i was watching an interview with trent reznor on youtube the other day and he's like well certainly john carpenter was a big influence and i'm just like Wow. You know, like that's that's pretty huge, man, that like who would have thought <laughs> that I, I just find that connection very, very uh, interesting. And by the way, Nick, if you hadn't haven't heard it, as soon as we're done with this episode, go on Spotify and check out uh, Trent and Atticus's version of the Halloween theme. Oh, totally. And you will 
I guarantee you will dig it because it's it's the Halloween theme, but it's so like with their spin on it. Yeah, you know, just sort of thinking back, like I I love early Nine Inch Nails, especially in uh, Pretty Hate Machine and uh, like the early albums there, the Downward Spiral. You can definitely hear some Carpenter influence on on those tracks also. Um, I, I guess those were kind of closer in time chronologically to the Carpenter films that had scores like that. But uh, but yeah, you know, just sort of that pulsating bass kind of sound that he was so good at. You definitely hear that. I mean, Trent Reznor kind of does his own thing with those tracks later on um they sort of build and get aggressive and intense in ways that you don't necessarily hear a carpenter score do but um when they are sort of quieter and more atmospheric they definitely sound like they could totally fit in his movies yeah and from what i heard uh for what it's worth carpenter did approve of their halloween theme which also brought a smile to my face so where are we at here wraith yes we left off with wraith okay uh, this, I, for some reason, I wrote the word liquid feel like water, huh. heroic guitar lead, moving strings and atmospheric intro. Uh, I thought this had the most calming and the most soothing vibe of anything. on it. Like there was actually a point where I was listening to this song and I was like, man, you could almost meditate to parts of this, um, which is probably where I got the aquatic. Uh, adjectives there i don't know it's interesting that you say that because this track reminds me of the movie the fog um it kind of starts out very atmospheric and and you know that film has some of that just beautiful imagery of of the fog sort of rolling in over antonio bay and Mm. it has those great landscape shots and that i love that movie i don't care what anyone says yeah well we've talked about it on the show i think it's a a very good film and um you know this track it it almost has the same structure to that movie right like it kind of starts off atmospheric like you said and then by the end of this it, it does have that kind of dramatic crescendo at the end like the uh the last what is it 20 minutes or so of the fog or like just really really action-packed and uh, and really tense and the film starts to amp up with uh adrian barbeau fighting off the ghosts on the roof of the lighthouse and um you know all the stuff that happens in the church the sort of final confrontation in the church at the end of that film wraith just sounds to me like it was almost written to sort of hit every single beat that that movie hits and uh i know it's not exactly that but for some reason i couldn't stop thinking about the fog and you know like like you were saying there's parts of that movie that are kind of calming and atmospheric and some of my favorite shots in that movie is like when they're looking at the porthole on the boat and they sort of just see the fog rolling in and we get sort of a very calm ocean with this ominous thing kind of floating above it and yeah i definitely got that feel from this track also wow that's uh, i i love the connection there imagine i wrote the word nautical (laughs) yeah (laughs) oh boy i really hope we get to go on our canoe trip this year side note yeah um (laughs) well i tell you what i'm gonna be there i don't know if anybody else will be yeah yeah (laughs) um let's see next is purgatory yes this is another one of my favorites this uh this one and mystery i think are my top two interesting i put that this song had a see i this is one of my least favorites okay and I definitely dig some of the 80s era sounds going on here. Uh, the organ. There's definitely awesome dynamics and like crazy octaves going on in the synths. Um, but this song feels all over the place to me. It has a weird shuffle to it. Yes. The rhythm to it has a shuffle that is like, I'm like, ah, like, I like it. It definitely sounds a lot different. It has a different groove than anything else on the album. So I'll give it that. 
Yeah, I don't know. This one, to me, kind of sounds like it has certain aspects about it that just reminded me of Carpenter's movie. And, and you could say that about any of these tracks, right? But um, again, this is one that starts out just totally atmospheric. It's almost like not a song for a while. It's more of a soundscape where it's just kind of ominous rumbles and things like that. And you almost get like a couple full minutes of that. And then this beat kicks in, this like kind of funky, almost like military sounding beat. And for some reason, like it, it, it sounds a little bit different from everything else on this album. And I just kind of really liked that. I mean, it almost reminded me of like a cheesy over the top action horror movie. And, uh, and then, you know, he starts layering the spooky sounding like high pitched synths over the top of that. And the note I wrote in all capital letters is I want to see this movie. So make of that what you will. But uh, (laughs) I don't know. This is uh, this is one that kind of inspired me. That's so interesting. I think if I had to pick my favorite two, well, let's let's we'll do night first and then we'll we'll uh, discuss favorites, least favorites, if we even uh, think it worth mentioning. But night, this is the closing track on the album. Very cool track. We get some acoustic guitar. I pointed out here. I think this is the only song in the album that has acoustic guitar on it. Yeah, as far um, as I can remember. And I also, I swear to God, I heard a dulcimer in here again. Um, but uh, there's a lot of tension in this track. It's kind of, it's got a kind of a somber vibe to it. I mean, it starts with this crunchy synth that's just like classic Carpenter. Like as soon as the song starts, you're just like, all right. Again, I use the word eerie here with the guitar. Yeah, this one's very ominous. That was the note that I made at a couple of points during this ominous, track. Yep, ominous. It, it 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 basically only has one key change in it that kind of toggles back and forth in the main section of it, and I love that key change. I'm pretty sure it's a A minor to D minor or something like that. But I love just uh, every time every time it occurs, it just it just hits my ear the right way. Um, the arpeggiated synthesizer, as I mentioned before, which is in every track on this album. Uh, is just great and it's a I think it's a very somber and uh, a kind of humble way to end the record if you will yeah it's a little quieter but it still has that movement and that like kinetic energy to it um this one is the one that reminds me the most of cliff martinez and mm. uh of course he scored the movie drive and a film that i like a lot nicholas winding reference follow-up to drive only god forgives i know you've seen that movie too we oh, talked yeah. about it on it's our old weird show movie. Yeah. yeah it's very weird i i love that movie um most people hate it but i think it's great and it's a great score uh even if you hate the film which even Reffin himself is not crazy about the film but it definitely has a very similar sort of score to it and that is you know it's a movie set in like underground fight clubs and has this sort of ominous pulse to it and the score kind of matches that really nicely and I got that same sort of feel from Night. We're not going to talk about the remixes so uh, the the Spotify version of Lost Themes has some remixes tacked on to the end of it. We're going to talk about the remixes on a whole other episode because as you were saying before we started recording um, those have been compiled into basically their own album but I will say there is a great great remix of night that comes in the lost themes playlist that's on Spotify comes right after the original track and it's got vocals uh, and it it is just really cool. We can talk more about the remixes when we get to them, but if you like this track, definitely check out the Zola Jesus remix of night um, with some great sort of, even the lyrics are cool. It's like, I will hunt you down thing. I I really, really like it. Yeah. She is uh, also a sacred bones artist. I was looking into that. So Sacred Bones Records um, was created back in 2007. Actually, Nick, based out of Brooklyn, New York. I didn't know if you knew that. 
um, with a whole roster of artists, many of whom are un- underground. But uh, yeah, that's how this themes. So understand that Lost Themes is album number one. Lost Themes two is the follow up, and then they did release Sacred Bones. Did release it was actually later on this year. So February of 2015 was the release of Lost Themes. In October of that same year, 2015, they released the remix album, which has wait wait until you hear. I should say the remix to I can't remember if it's either Fallen or Abyss uh, on the remix album. That's a it's a it's a showstopper. It's an unbelievable remix. There's a few different artists that did the work for the remix album. So then Lost Themes Two comes out in 2016 and here's the bummer for me where is the remix album to lost themes 2 because i thought that the uh the remix album for the first one was really solid and i think you will too when you hear it in its proper form i actually i wouldn't mind a remix album of even the stuff that was actually in carpenter's movies right like just a whole straight up you know give it to some producers and see what they could do with the escape from new york theme or something like that yeah so we kind of started with like anthology was the one after lost themes too that they released but quite cleverly i should say in uh october of 2017 so that's really cool that he's just got this thing going on with sacred bones which continued into the halloween 2018 albums that he's putting out with cody which by the way that nick have you listened to that score yet we're gonna have to talk about that at some point the new halloween score yeah i mean i heard it in the movie well, you need to hear it as a, as a record. It's unbelievable. Yeah, we'll totally do that on the show. Um, I do want to go back to Lost Themes, though, because um, I think it's time for some final thoughts on this album. Yeah, I I mean, I think it's pretty apparent in just the commentary that we've had together that um, this is a dream come true for me as a fan, to have this straight-up, polished, you know, crisp studio album, you know, no limit on overdubs or tracks, and uh, like you're saying, every song is like its own adventure. It's like there's everything from, you know, heavy metal to the gothic, you know, haunted synthesizer driven progressive sounding stuff that you would expect uh, in his early score work mixed in with some new fresh ideas. So you're going to get nine tracks nice and tight, about 45, 46 minutes long. Um, so you can put it on and listen to it from top to bottom in, in no time. I love this album. Like This is an album that I will continue to listen to. I think it has a lot of replay value to it, and I'm just so glad it exists. I agree. I really like this album also, but I, it kind of brings up an interesting question for me, right? Because listening to this, there wasn't one track on here where I thought, this is better than everything that's actually in the Carpenter movies, right? And I don't know if that's maybe just me, like something like the Halloween score or even the uh, the Assault in Precinct 13 theme. For some reason, that's the one that's mm. always stuck in my head. But nothing on Lost Themes to me was, was just sort of catchier or more memorable than any of that stuff. And okay. I'm, I'm kind of wondering... Does that mean that that just the movies themselves are so iconic, right? Like, it's it's so hard to separate the stuff that actually is in a movie from the movie, right? So, 
like maybe there is stuff on here that is better and it just kind of because it doesn't have that film that we're so familiar with and and in most cases but we love so much to go along with it um listening to the like i enjoyed anthology more than i enjoyed lost themes just because anthology just brought up so many great memories of of films that i had seen and and kind of you know made me look forward to films that i hadn't seen yet but uh this one you know it's just by design it's not going to do that so yes i definitely suggest if you're a fan of carpenter's scoring work uh soundtrack stuff check it out um it is a great sort of running slash workout album uh if you want to use it for that um but i I was hoping something on this would just sort of jump out at me and be like this is the best music carpenter has ever done and uh and as much as i like all of it like i said i don't think there's a bad track on here but there was nothing that that made me think that and it's because you're when you're competing with themes like assault on precinct 13 and halloween and escape from new york and just the magnitude of how classic and iconic those pictures have become and what those melodies make us think about with the juxtaposition of them up against like the moving picture itself like you can't compete with that with an album you know like he could have made the greatest album of all time none of those none of these songs are going to be able to hit with the same kind of impact cuz they don't have the history the character or the iconicness yeah but, I guarantee, you know, if he were to put out a new film in alignment with one of these albums and put a few of those tracks on there, they would probably have a little bit more impact, I think. But I know exactly what you're saying. I mean, I totally agree. But don't get me wrong. I got all these records. And if I had a choice, eh, it might depend on my mood, but I would actually rather listen to Lost Themes over a record like Anthology only because it's more interesting to me as far as I'm not as familiar with it so I want to hear it more and if I want to hear Halloween or Escape from New York I'm putting on the whole fucking soundtrack <laughs> Fair is enough. Like my deal so <laughs> well but, again I mean this is the thing that I probably wouldn't have ever thought to listen to if not for the show I do remember reading about it, like Pitchfork did a review of this when it came out and I remember reading about it then and I was like oh cool John Carpenter put out yeah. an album I'll listen to that someday and then just kind of never did so I'm glad they, I finally heard it they gave it a positive review and I and yeah I'll I will tell you what's so awesome about this being a fan is this could have sucked, you know what I mean? Like, we, we could be sitting here having this conversation going, man, like, you know, he stopped directing movies and then he started putting out albums and shit just kept getting worse. But it's like, no, these are these Lost Themes albums are, are, are very solid. Yeah, I can't think of any other of my favorite filmmakers that could do something like this, right? I mean, most of them don't score their own films the way Carpenter does, but, you know, I like, uh, what, what does a Wes Anderson album sound like, you know? Yeah. Well, you didn't hear the new Spielberg album? It's great. <laughs> <laughs> I would listen to that. I would definitely check that out if that was a thing. But anyway, you uh, yeah, you know me. It's uh, it's just sort of general movie nerdery, but I don't think it would be good. Anyway, so uh, we will get to Lost Themes 2 at some point, but our next stop in the Carpenter chronology, once again, is Big Trouble in Little China. We teased it on the last episode. We will be doing that next. I am excited to see it again. It's kind of been a while. I think it's maybe the perfect 
movie for the times that we're living in just because it's so very fun and uh, and I feel like we just need a little bit of fun and escapism right now so I am very much looking forward to checking out Big Trouble in Little China again and uh, and riding along with Jack Burton on that adventure we will get to that next episode but uh, before then we would love to hear from you keep sending in the emails and the messages uh, we, we really really love the feedback from our audience and uh, let us know what Carpenter music is your favorite if you want to get a hold of us you you can reach us via email at precinct13podcast at gmail.com. We are on Twitter at 13precinct, facebook.com slash 13precinct, and our website where you can download this episode and every other and subscribe to the show is precinct13.simplecast.com. With that, I guess we're uh, going to head back into quarantine. It's been good talking to you, Chris. Good talking to you as well, Nick. Stay safe. Yeah, everyone. Hope you're doing good out there, and uh, we will be back in two weeks for Big Trouble in Little China. So take care. Mm-hmm.